0: Hey guys, Steve here
1: from Photonponics. Today we're going to talk about Growing With Fishes. Growing With Fishes. Alrighty, um, let me introduce the next guest here. Uh, our next guest is uh, Angela Tenenbrock, I hope I pronounced your, uh, Tenbrock, I hope I pronounced your last name correctly. Uh, I recently re- uh, learned it actually is a type of structure or defensive structure as well, the, the, that term, so I didn't actually realize it was actually the name of a thing until I was uh, Googling you a little bit for the before this, so uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. She is a, an expert in food safety and biosecurity and all things uh, 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 of those types of um, uh, a topic. So she's going to be here talking to us about how to address those types of things in our, our cannabis facilities. She uh, works with a lot of both vegetable and cannabis people out there doing just this type of thing. So uh, really, really excited to have her on and uh, kind of someone that you don't hear from enough in our in our industry. And we definitely need to hear uh, these types of voices much more and try to help steer us in this direction. So thanks a lot and, and take it away.
2: All right, thanks for having me. I need to uh, be able to share my screen so that I can begin my talk, if that's possible.
1: Sure, yeah, just there on the, the bottom there, it says share screen in green, and then you yep. can pick... It just tells list. me
2: that the host has disabled it.
1: Oh, shoot, hold on a second. I apologize. One second. Steve <laughs> I apologize. I'll fix it. Two seconds. I got. I cut my hair just
2: for you guys today.
1: Oh, it looks great.
0: You know,
2: I, I Steve my, has the other half of my hair. <laughs> I, I
0: brushed it. That's, all, that's all.
2: I know <laughs> you guys. You you all, y'all all have my other half of my hair.
1: <laughs> Trying to find the setting for it here. Oh, here we go. All right. All right. All right, cool. Should work now.
2: Awesome. Let's I'll do this. No worries. We're going to get this done.
1: If We run late too. We'll, we'll make sure we, it's not a big
2: deal. It's all, it good lunch. all right. So my, uh, my favorite thing to do when I meet with cannabis growers is to uh, talk about the medicine. So, uh, I first encountered this term when I was, uh, when I was, uh, working on a food safety for when they were, uh, Kind of walking in the state of Florida's hemp and uh, medical uh, cannabis uh, information, and I kept hearing these people talk about their medicine. Don't take away my medicine. So uh, my talk today is, is your medicine safe? So a little bit about me so that you can kind of know who's talking to you. Um, I have owned and operated more than 100,000 square feet of aquaponics um, in the last five years. Um, and we were the uh, first aquaponics facility in the uh, world to get SQF certification. That is what sets out um, aquaponics to become a commercial operation. And so um, today I'm in the midst of building this uh, thing that you see here. I'm currently building phase one, which is a 26,000 square foot facility that has, um, is a decoupled system. It looks a little bit like uh, Steve's system in a way. Um, but we grow 31 different items, not in the cannabis space. So you're hearing from a person who not only um, works in food safety for the, the future of aquaponics, but as well is is farming in that space. So that's just a little bit about me. We are four generations of greenhouse growers since the 1970s. Uh, started at five years old in the greenhouse. So I uh, have a few experiences um, you know, that I can share with you. So kind of let's talk about where ag tech is now, where are we now and where will we go? So farm equipment, we have inorganic and nutrition, you know, fertilizers, we have robot sensors, we have all sorts of stuff. um, And we have just in time farming. I think that you're gonna find the cannabis space is gonna go to this um, using a lot of these sensors and so forth. Steve talks about a lot of the amazing portion of why we grow the way we grow. But I think the most important thing that we think about is our future. And so as we think about our future, Let's think about the tech of growing indoors. So plants that grow differently in different conditions, if we do CEA, we're actually able to produce for our local folks 24-7, 365 production. It also allows us to better um, be able to grow because we're able to manage our temp, our pH, our humidity and the mechanics of the greenhouses. The tools also allow less labor, which allows us to have a smarter workforce. I'd like to give a shout out to Artemis so if you guys haven't um, heard about this so by the time my talk is done you'll understand why maybe a platform system such as Artemis could help you uh, be able to manage for food safety and quality. Um, and irrigation which is the most important thing and resource that we use in farming many of us aquapons are uh, interested in making sure that we are doing what's we are making doing well as we do good and so as part of that we want to make sure that we are, you know, not having runoff and so forth. So a lot of the reasons why we farm has to do with not only, you know, this amazing product that we can produce, but as well the opportunity to be able to uh, reduce water and uh, resource, uh, you know, suppression. So the the future of harvesting um, and tech and farming is harvesting. And so you'll have autonomous farming equipment. Now that the uh, big boys, so to speak, have gotten into our space, you're going to see a lot of a lot more tools that allow us to uh, grow smarter and, um, you know, pack and harvest and so forth. And you may wonder why I'm talking about these things. And I think you'll kind of gather and capture that as um, my presentation goes. So I like to talk about the autocart. auto cart. While the auto cart is ingrained today, I believe it will be uh, something, something such as auto cart will be in our future tomorrow, which is the autonomous harvesting and uh, so forth. And then you have the robots, which we call the sweepers. So both of those are things that you can look up and see a little bit more of information. So let's start to the meat of my real conversation here. Why does food safety matter? Why does it matter in the cannabis space? Well, besides the obvious of you could be sued and you could lose your opportunity to grow or you could go to prison, it gives you an opportunity for marketing your higher quality products. This is a really important piece as cannabis becomes more mainstream and you have the opportunity to sell it on the wide market. So as a you know, multi-generational uh, food grower, what we have found is, is that we find little sticks that try to put our, our program ahead of everyone else's. So as you grow and you want to become a more profitable, you want to have things that you can call out to the people who may buy your food or your consumer so that they could know that your, quality, your product is the highest quality they can, they can get. I also wanna point out, and you're gonna hear me talk about this each time you hear me speak, if one of us fails in aquaponics, then all of us can fail. And I don't wanna to sound too motherly here, but I want to remind you that the work that you do in these early stages really does matter. And so you must be mindful of the fact that it's not only about you, but it is around all of the people who are involved in aquaponics. There's also the the ethics of food safety, which gives you a base. The SOPs, standard operating procedures, uh, plans for consumer consumption, and it defines your science. What you have heard in the prior conversation with, you know, with Steve and, and those guys and Marty is the fact that you have an opportunity To do some really good science in the early stages of this. So why should I consider food safety as part of my business? If you want to expand nationally or internationally, you will want to be able to prove what you do. Currently uh, tinctures, topicals, edibles, and smoke, it will become regulated and in many places it already is. I'm seeing consumers when I go to the local cannabis stores Asking for COAs. So, you need to make sure that you're doing your data. So, my favorite thing to say is do what you say, say what you do, and prove it. And you prove that not by your conversation, not by your work, but by somebody else validating your work. Your retailers and consumers will at some point require you to be able to provide more uh, than just your COA. So, I'm going to suggest that you begin baseline data. So, how do you know your water's safe? As you, many of you probably have seen this picture in your very own farm and you know that, you know, your radial uh, flow or your, depending upon how you flow your sediments, um, also depends upon how, you know, you manage your water. So do you test your water? If you really want to become food safe um, and moving forward into this regulation, embrace the regulations now. So by the rule, you should start your baseline as soon as you begin your farm to know where you may have an issue. You may say to me, but wait, if I know I have an issue, I don't wanna tell anyone. Well, I think you, you wanna know where your problem is. I think you wanna be able to address your problem with science and management. So if you know there's a possibility of a contamination or a pathogen issue, you wanna be able to monitor it. You want someone else to say, yes, they sent me their water. Yes, they sent me their product. And this is what it says. So you know your numbers and you're able to defend your numbers. So as long as you know your numbers, the rules state, you can do this, you can't do that. They don't really do that. The rules state, use science as your decision. Use science so you you can develop your plan and make sure that you really know what's happening in your system. This is going to require that you have drawings of how your water flows. You're going to know how to track all of your products and a variety of other things. If you want to enter this and be successful in your role, you must remove the obstacles so that you are able to. So biological soil amendments. Raw manure, which is what many people are going to talk about when they, they get all in a dither about aquaponics. We can overcome this. It has to do with your terminology. Fish manure, fish waste is a soil amendment, okay? So you have to have something to transition that solid fish waste to that liquid plant food. And I would encourage you to really pay attention to the guidance that has been given to the produce industry so that you will be able to embrace and not have these hiccups. I know that it was once illegal to be growing in places and you've done this way and you've made money at it, but now we've turned the page and you must turn the page as well. So terminology matters. What do you call it? How do you deal with your amendments? What are your SOPs? For seeding, for harvesting, for storing, for movement, for recall. What are your plans? You need to have a plan and an SOP in place for each one of these. And I, if I come to your facility and there's people who are, who I work with in the cannabis space, they will tell you, you want to have your plans and SOPs in place before Angela gets there because she's going to walk through and point out everything that she can so that you are successful. You want to use someone like me before your real auditor comes in. For your SQF or your GAP or your you know Primus uh, certifications, because I'm going to point out as a grower, as a, a PCQI, SQF, HACCP individual, these are your issues. I'm going to get on my hands and knees and I'm going to put you know light on stuff that you haven't thought about. That is the advantage of working with someone who's in this space, doing what you're doing, trying to make sure that none of us fails, so all of us can succeed. So this is my favorite thing. So the flow chart for seed to harvest production, do you have one of these? Do you know how things come in? When your seeds come in, who checks them in? Who knows what the lot number is? Who makes sure you have first in, first out? Who makes sure that if you have failure, do you go back to the seed company? If you have, um, you know, in many states, I know in the hemp space, um, they are requiring you to have a certain uh, propagation uh, percentage. So you need to make sure that you're able to do that for your reporting purposes, because even though hemp is now a commodity and cannabis, you know, uh, uh, higher THC uh, products will become a commodity, I am anticipating uh, very soon, you must have your action and process in place so that you are able to maintain your license and maintain consumer confidence. It is the most important thing you will do. How do you start? How do you finish? How do you know who's using your product? What is your documentation along the way? How are you able to prove what you're doing and doing what you're proving, you know, saying? So this is my favorite flow chart is, okay, the seeds come to you. You've put them in propagation. What are you, ha- what's happening? How many sprouts did you get? Or if you're getting clones, is it true? Are these COAs right? What kinds of situations? What kind of ads are you having as you're planting and growing? You know, what are the task is? How do you document all this? What's the variety? What's the amount planted? What's the location? Steve has covered this very well in his last presentation about he decouples. You know He has each house running on a very specific system. That redundancy matters so much. And it will matter if you ever get a major outbreak so that you aren't able to, you won't lose your whole crop. So these things are things that you should consider very, very important. Document what you do as you progress. So biosecurity. My favorite thing to ask is, where's your biosecurity plan? And people look at me like I'm, you know, "Mm, what's that? So your biosecurity plan is an actual plan that you uh, have that is preventive. So if you have, uh, if you're going to have a tornado, if you're going to have a storm, if you're going to have, what's going to happen, who, where, what, if someone, if you're not there, who's going to call the, what police, what people do we call? How do we call them? Um, it also is prevents, you have a whole portion of your biosecurity that talks about pest prevention and invasions and so forth. What do you do? Your biosecurity plan is the plan that you utilize that you build for your farm, for your spot. So if you're not there and you're on vacation and you have a major malfunction, who do we call first? How do we get gas off? What's the water company's name? Do you have a water company? Do you have a well person? Um, if you have a major disaster, how are you going to make sure that your products remain, you know, uh, highest quality and so forth? This is the plan that you write. That if you write this plan efficiently and effectively, you will pass every state and most governments around the world's plan for food safety and biosecurity. The other thing that you must consider is that there are times when people do things. They come onto your farm in the after hours, and there's possibility of they may do things to taint your facilities. And because we have a, we work an environment. Um, That is a very symbiotic environment between the fish and the plants and so forth. You have to manage for not only your plant system, but for your fish system. What if somebody pours in something? What if you have an angry employee? How do you manage all that? You have to have a plan in place. So what does this look like? When you come to our farms, you're going to sign in. I'm going to walk you around and I'm going to manage where you work, where you walk. If you come to work for us, we have a very specific plan and manner in which you work. If you work in fish, you don't work in plants. Or if you work in plants, you don't work in fish. If you do, you have a whole sanitation and hygiene procedure that you work. The other thing is, is that I notice on many farms, many times people have other animals besides their aquaponic system. We must plan and manage for those things. So you have facility movement issues. So how do you move your feed carts from your chickens to your fish? Do you move them? Do you interact? Is the person who's feeding the chickens the same person who's feeding the fish? You must be mindful of these things because when your auditor comes, they're going to ask that. And this will be part of you becoming the very best farm facility and the grower that you can be. It will be profitable in the future for you, I assure you. How do you do biosecurity? you're going to have an SOP in place you're going to have a food safety plan you're going to have management plans hierarchy you're going to tell me if i'm a fish keeper what do i do here if i'm in only in the grow space what do i what are my tasks what education do i have to have what's my job description what do i do on monday what do i do on tuesday what do i do on i'm going to ask you all those questions because your facility at this point should have a bit of management plans when you are running your facility the other thing that's important is your maintenance of your facility. In an aquaponics facility, it is very important that you maintain your facility at the highest quality um, that you can. This means that you have a plan for how you maintain your your biosolids, your raw manure, your soil amendment, whatever you wanna call it. You must have a plan and maintain your facility so that every week, someone knows it's happened, and someone has agreed and signed off their name that these specific things occurred in your facilities. So that's kind of food security and biosecurity in in a nutshell. What I always like to do is stop my presentation right here and begin to answer questions. So Marty, Steve, anybody, we have any questions so far?
0: I haven't seen any pop up in chat just yet, but let's give them just a minute to take a look. I just wanted, I mean, while we're waiting, I want to say thank you for bringing up so many great points and stuff that I feel like don't get brought up um, when it comes to talking about growing. A lot of times we get so focused on plants and how they grow and what they do and what they look like and how pretty they are and how much they yield and so many, uh, things that I've, I've seen very successful growers try to make the jump to say, let's say less than legal markets to uh, uh, the business world. And so many of the things that you talk about in here are things that they struggle with. Um, because you, you don't have these in a lot of traditional grows, uh, We'll say again, less than legal gross. So if you want to know, <clears throat> you know, the the headaches that you can avoid, uh, you know, this presentation and stuff you just talked about is uh, the the note taking you should take. Um, so let's see here. I don't see any questions so far, Steve. Did or, you have to
1: the one thing I was going to reemphasize, or just would love to have you maybe touch on again, is how one, the value of good SOPs, and two, how you really should, you, you have to have those really to, to get started and how a lot of people kind of jump into it and then want to hire a consultant after the fact that, and then expect them to, to do their normal rate for SOPs. And that's just completely unrealistic. There's a lot of time and effort and research that goes into all that. And they don't, you know, so I think there's a, a, maybe a, a, a not a, a true appreciation for those. Maybe that's something you want to touch on.
2: Yeah. So the most important thing that I notice is, is that in aquaponics, there seems to be a lot of discourse on system design, um, whether it's, you know, I I sit uh, at each conference, you know, I've been in this space. um, So my family has been hydroponic growers since the 1970s. And I, um, you know, entered the space in 12. And so, um, and I always um, remember my great grandfather when he was doing the Dutch method in the 1970s and all the conversations about how they would tweak it and make it better and this and that. And there was a lot of sharing and conversations going on. And so I always, uh, whenever I go to the aquaponics conferences around the world, I always kind of smile to myself because all of you guys are always arguing about the, so- the you know, can this be scaled? Um, my system's better than yours and this and that. And I always say to myself, "Well, they all grow food. They may grow it differently, but are they safe? Does it cut the mustard in the professional, commercial world? Because really, I believe that the way in which we can um, solve hunger and um, our medical uh, situation in the future is by uh, embracing the you know the the medium, small, medium-sized commercial, our family farm that allows them to be commercial and have a living, and so." Um, I always smile when they start talking about system design and so forth, whereas we really need to jump past that and into, we always need to have the Steves of our world who are talking about their cutting-edge technology and science and so forth, but as well, we need to be thinking about how can you make money in this? How can you feed people better? How can you make better medicine? How are you able to do this? And so it really matters that once you have decided you're going to enter this world and you've decided that this is the system you're going to run, while yes, you should you know uh, consult with the best folks around, but once you do that, you need to be thinking about who are you going to get on your team as a consultant or a full-time person to run the, the biosecurity and, and uh, food and uh, safety of your place. I see a lot of times people do uh, things that are really not acceptable uh, in a commercial realm because they think they don't have the money. Whereas if they started smart, they would finish smart.
1: We have some questions now. Uh, Yeah. uh, So I guess the the one I just pasted, um, uh, have you seen any good IAVS systems or is that a dead horse? Um, that's the sand bed stuff with fish waste on the sand. Yeah.
2: I have actually seen those systems work. Um, I've seen them work and, um, I I know where I know they work is in India. Um, I've seen them was where we've seen them, you know, but I'm not really an expert in that area. Um, so I stick to what I know. Um, and that's, that's not, I don't know much about that. Um, but I can tell you that I have seen them, um, you know, grow some stuff. The other questions I see is what is the most common issue you see in regards to food safety that seems like common sense, but a lot of people miss it? Well, um, (laughs) washing your hands and gloving is probably the most uh, interesting thing. And when I'm in a facility, I am almost always, um, there are two things that I think that I always notice. The first thing is, is you cannot have your pets in your facility, that's the first thing. The second thing is um, your hand-washing and gloving techniques really do matter. And so those are, to me, really very common sense, um, you know, things. Um, so that's my first answer to that. Um, the next question is, is, what Angela, what is Artemis? Artemis is a platform um, that allows you to be able to um, track and monitor your facility front to back. Uh, Alison Koff is uh, was the was once called Agrilist, and now she has merged and now is Artemis. They have a really great platform, and I would encourage you if you're looking to have some traceability and so forth, she can that program can assist you. How would you write an SOP for smaller scale operations? It doesn't matter if you have a one man operation; you had you should have an SOP. You should have SOPs for everything you do. So how do you do it? An SOP is simply how do I do this? You know what do I what am I trying to make sure happens, and then I'm signing off once a week that these things have happened.
1: I think one of the other big things I always make sure I include my SLPs is what equipment are you sorry about the background? What equipment are you using, um, and then what uh, and mainly also what are the cleaning procedures for that equipment? You know, ma- doing uh, cleaning procedures for each of your equipment that you can always pair with that item makes your life a lot easier because you don't have to rewrite that 10,000 times you just write it once and then copy and paste that into any set that includes that item
2: well yes steve so one of the things that we do is is we do uh, sops for everything so we would have an sop for hand washing for walking through the facility for gloving for all those kinds of things then you would have a maintenance program that's an sop for each so for your tanks uh for your all of your pumps for your i i have sops for even the um the airlines um, and stones and I mean, we have an SOP. And so one person is responsible um, for, you know, very, very specific things based upon their position in the, as a greenhouse associate in our facility. Um, So how would you write an SOP for a smaller scale? I would just simply say to you, um, if you want to have a hygiene SOP, that would be one thing. So hand-washing, your cleaning and management, the other thing I would have an SOP for is, is your, uh, your, your equipment, such as Steve. The other thing is, is um, also make sure that you don't have your, your cleaning supplies are not crossing over. Um, that's a really important thing. Um, so anyway, so what are some of the ways you are being sustainable and energy consumption? So we actually use um, less, we use gravity and a variety of other um, physics principles and so forth to design and build our facilities. So we reuse less pumps um, and that allows us to do that. We as well have done a new design in our greenhouse with this build that allows us to use less exhaust. Um, and so we're tra- we're, we're uh, researching um, this new design and uh, I'll be able to tell you at the next conference how it's going to work out for us. It says, what is the best book available now to set up the plumbing for my first home setup? I want to have a lot of fish Um, So demineralization included, Um, I would simply say to you, you're going to have people in the next day that you will be able to, um, you know, uh, listen to. And um, many of those folks have given free shareware online on how to uh, set up your system. There's some really easy, simple systems that you could uh, run. Um, And I I say, keep it simple um, and so forth. So what design considerations are important for uh, system safety? So one of the really important things that I always, I know that you guys are gonna yell at me when I tell you this, but I don't have wood in our facilities. And the reason is, is because it's uh, for for the maintenance and uh, so forth of the facility, we are a water environment. And so therefore we must uh, maintain, um, you know, hygiene of our, of our internal system water, but as well water is going to get out. And so I always say um, to people, Be very, very mindful of where you have your wood because you have to have in your SOPs how you're going to clean it. I have actually worked recently with someone as a consultant. They had um, um, a downy issue or a a fungus uh, and some other issues uh, occur in their greenhouse. And it was simply because the wood that they they simply could just not get it clean. Um, So you should be cleaning your facilities um, on a very regular basis. Um, and so it's really important uh, for design considerations that you are able to clean these places um, in, a, in a way that, um, so when you come to my facility, people often make fun of us because they say that we are medical grade uh, clean, but um, it allows us to reduce our pest intrusions. So therefore we are able to um, have, you know, some advantages for that. The next question is, is how would you write an SOP for a smaller, okay, we have that. Is salmonella a risk in aquaponics? What are other possible bad ones? Um, so, I always test actually each month, I test for salmonella, E. coli, and listeria. Um, and so, I always test for these. And, you know, if you have chickens in your midst or birds in your midst, you probably should test for salmonella um, because it seems to be kind of something you happen um, in the midst. Um, let me just give you an example. When I was building one of my uh, previous farms um, we did we once a month we would do tissue and water um, collection and send out to a third-party lab to examine our uh, materials and one month I got a call that said hey um, something's you know on your on your lettuce products you seem to have this and I I always say test further and then I'm going to send you so my protocol is if I get a possible positive I take from the same area because before we harvest, one week before we harvest, we always test our products, send them to the lab one week before harvest, and we know what area we are going to harvest. And in that week, it gives us time if we have a, if we were to have a positive, we could eliminate the whole area and retest to make sure it wasn't just a false positive. And one year we actually had, or one month, we actually had uh, some, a concern. Um, And so we went back through and sent back the the protocol for how we uh, manage that. And what we found was, is that we were building our other facility and the trucks that were bringing in the dirt, uh, the dump trucks that were going around our facility actually had um, some back, the soil that was bringing brought in for the leveling of it, actually brought in something into our facility. So it's really odd, even though I have 50 mesh on my curtain, we have all the preventive controls you can do, we had to make sure that we managed that appropriately. So that's you know just one of those examples of, it may not be in your system, it could just be in your midst. Okay, um, it says the next question is, um, curious if the E. coli and other bad guys are still a concern in deep sand beds, uh, being you have a lot of good biology. Um, I think that you must be concerned with E. coli and all of those other things, no matter what you do. Uh, you must know where your issues are, and be able to go from there and eliminate or manage what could be your future issue. Steve, Marty? I think that's
1: about a, oh, uh, the only other thing I was going to say with E. coli is, um, we've actually, I've personally had two aquaponic cannabis facilities test hot for non-human pathogenic E. coli, where um, it was detectable, but not in the form that's a, a worry for humans. I'll be we glad were, to talk about that. And we were able to eliminate it via lactobacillus inoculation,
2: right? Over and, the first two weeks. Yeah, and and Steve, that's actually very common in our facility. So what's going to happen is is you're going to do a fecal coliform, and a variety of other things. And what's going to happen is is your lab is going to call you and say you have high fecal coliform. Why? Yes, we do. Um, and so you ask them to um, continue the the um, the testing to see if it is the human pathogen, and um, Science proves that the E. coli that's in the gut of fish generally do not make any human sick. And so um, we use science to guide our, our conversations and questions. Many times I see people when I go to aquaponics facilities um, that are homegrown facilities, what I see is a lot of people don't have some sort of um, processor. Um, we'll call it a bioreactor, clarifier, uh, you know, swirl tank, whatever. They simply run fish to, um, to their plants. And um, there presents some issues um, if you are going to try to scale that. So you must be mindful. And I would suggest that you, you would meet with uh, folks um, that are, you know, you, you, you have, Steve, put together a lineup of people who can really, um, who have experience and who do this on a daily, who could assist um, in that. And so, yes, lactobacillus, uh, there are other things that you can do um, that are very easy and common um, to manage for pathogens and pests.
1: Uh, we have another question. Uh, is the main tool for cleaning pressure washers or what chemicals are you using? Can you talk a little bit more about cleaning in general?
2: Yes, actually I'll be glad to. So we use uh, high pressure, um, um, high pressure washing. So let me kind of talk to you about how this looks. So you come into my facility, you're going to walk into a series of uh, sanitation. So you're going to walk onto rocks, and then you're going to walk through uh, a foot bath. And then you're going to walk onto sticky papers. And then you're going to walk into a negative pressure room. um, And then you're going to enter a containment area. And you're going to have a very specific way in which you walk in our facility. Every day that we are in that facility, the foot wash or the foot bath, the uh, the rug and the containment areas are all washed down. And we use a, um, we have a PPT for chlorine. We don't use QUAT in our facilities. We have an expectation for um, a certain amount of PPTs of chlorine in our, and we wash down with a chlorine solution um, that is, has a little bit of um, um, basically soap in it that allows the surfactant to fit to sit on, so this is all ground washing. From there, in our facilities for our fish, uh, we have very specific cleaning tools for fish. So we use, um, we have, uh, depending upon where we are washing. So in our fish tanks, we wash uh, inside of our fish tanks. So the fish keeper actually washes weekly um, all of the interiors of our fish tanks, as far as their arm will go. Um, We wash all of our pipes and um, so forth. Um, if the pipe has some sort of, we'll call it grado or crud, we would take the pipe off. We have unions at each spot. Take the pipe off and run it in through a, a bleach solution that is. Um, we have a dipstick for how many PPTs we uh, we accept, so that we don't over, you know, have too much bleach because too much bleach actually is not a good thing as well. And then we rinse it, wash it, clean it off of the debris, rinse it really well. Um, and then let it air dry and then we put it back in. Um, and so we do that. We, we don't have, we haven't had any, um, you know, issues with, uh, the bleach killing anything or, uh, so forth. Many, uh, uh growers use QUAT. You can use QUAT as well. Um, I just don't care for it. Um, our folks seem to like to use that as well. The other thing is, is all my inlet waters and all my exit waters are maintained with, um, we do clean them in the manner in which I just shared with you, as well as within our, um, our trays and in our uh, rafts and variety of other things. We do a very specific uh, maintenance when we are harvesting. So every 30 days um, on a lettuce harvest um, in a tomato, pepper, uh, celery, depends upon what we're harvesting, depends upon um, the cleaning, but every week um, we maintain the pipes and exteriors of the uh, grow area. And then the floor around that area, we maintain our fish tanks, and on a harvest, um, we harvest every week, uh, once to twice, you know, once or twice a week. Um, we we maintain a very specific protocols, and then everything is washed down, and everything is replaced, cleaned.
1: Awesome. Uh, Looks like we, we have other questions. Yeah, we have a couple more questions from chat. It says, um, "Could you explain more information on cleaning mini splits and other air ducts?"
2: Yes. Okay, so um, mini splits air conditionings are really interesting. Um, we utilize them in our facilities um, because the, we found that mini splits, uh, when you run them with, um, um, we run them at with our coolers, and um, they also allow us to pull water out. So because you know you were in an aquaponics environment, many times people get. Um, Condensate, and you know now you can purchase anti-condensate plastics, and so forth. Um, but as well, we use our mini splits, and we maintain them. Um, we clean them on a very uh, monthly um, basis, um, and we have an expectation for how we uh, maintain the where the air flows out, and uh, stuff like that. The next question is: is uh, aquaponics student and USDA Hardiness on Four A. What are the most important things to take into consideration when setting up? It? an SOP. So we built facilities in the Pacific Northwest. and Delaware, we've built, uh, we have work all over. Um, and so you must maintain your facility. You must build for your environment, obviously. And um, so I would say to you that your SOPs are not going to change as far as how you move, how you operate internally. Your system design is going to matter. So if you're growing, you know, a very specific fish that is say like a tilapia that's a warm water fish, you would obviously need to maintain your water in a certain parameter, and then have your plants that are grow within those parameters. Um, if you're going to uh, do such as uh, Kitsap Farms um, up in the Pacific Northwest, or Bear Hole Farms in Selbyville, Delaware, they're maintaining um, their facilities year round um, by very specific controls that they, we have implemented within their systems. So this would be just, you know, starting out, um, you know, I would say to you, Let's just keep it simple and buy yourself some uh, cattle heater, cattle water heaters, put them in your fish tanks and you can begin right there. I, I can buy those off Amazon every day and really they will keep your system warm. You know, you'll size it based upon, um, you know, how many gallons you have and, and so forth. But I would encourage you, no matter where you are, you will be able to grow food if you do it, you know, thoughtfully and utilize the knowledge of the people who've already been there and done that. So introducing beneficial predatory insects and nematodes jeopardize the safety of your system. Yes, yeah, so we actually must be mindful of um, the beneficials that we add. Charlie McKenzie is one of my favorite uh, guys to talk about this. Um, I would say to you that you would not want to do that when you're fixing to have a harvest. Um, you want to be mindful of that, especially if you are going for designations of, say you want to have kosher weed. Um, there will be a thing and there will be you will be able to uh, get designations in such a way. So you want to be mindful of what beneficials that you do add and the manner and the timing in which you do add them.
1: Is it, I want to ask a question on that: Is there, Have you seen any beneficials vector anything that would potentially be a, a, a food safety issue?
2: Um, yes, um, we have had some, um, we have had, I, 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 I'm going to say it like this. You must buy your beneficials from people who are certified and are they they certify their products. Um, because you anything you add, that is part of that SOP that I talk about, and that's part of that flow chart that I talk about. You wanna be able to make sure, and the new rule, folks, uh, the new um, the new rule that just came out from the USDA has to do with the management of our water. And um, and one of those uh, things that you know you're gonna talk about is. Impl- and things that you, they're not only going to ask you about what you put in as far as chemicals, but they also want to know what beneficials you're using. Because in some states, there are some beneficials that um, really are considered um, invasive. And so you have to have a plan for how you're going to maintain them. Um, and so really pay attention to that so that you aren't getting anything that's going to bring in a vector or pathogens on just uh, not really meaning to, but they will. Um, and so you must be careful of that. The other thing that you want to be mindful of is, is if you're going for designations, um, you know, for the kosher designation or a halal, or if you want to go for any of those designations, you need to be mindful because, heck, that's a whole area of business that people aren't th- thinking about that could really be an opportunity for you to set apart, you know, your kosher uh, or halal. So anyway...
1: Awesome, is there any other, uh, I guess, pest management practices that you've seen potentially vector issues, any any uh, biocontrols or anything else that maybe is becoming a problem as far as uh, maybe false flags or other other issues?
2: Yep, I see sometimes people use uh, things. Um, so many times people are shooting for this organic designation. And so they um, are looking to try to uh, reduce pest uh, using, you know, uh, something, some sort of, um, uh, something that they think is organic and is has the OMRI approval. That doesn't always mean it's the best. Um, the other thing is, is that um, you must change up and maintain in your scouting routine. So part of your food safety and pest prevention and biosecurity has to do with how you scout. So when you're walking through your facility, do you know the sounds? Do you know the sound, the smells? Do you know the way it's supposed to hit, you know, I can get out of my truck at the farm and I can tell you if there's a pump out or if something's gone wrong. You need to know your facility that well. And so um, the smell is the most important thing that you should pay attention to. Um, And in the cannabis space, what I find is is that um, it's not so much that you're getting pathogens that are coming up your roots. What I'm finding is is it's the pesticides that are on top of it. And so we have been trying to mitigate um, with biosecurity plans Um, we are really, so that you have uh, containment rooms and so forth before you get to your crop um, so that you are able to really reduce the amount of pesticides and chemicals that you're having to use foliar, you know, on your plant's leaves and such, so that you don't have these issues. You know, ideally, Steve, it would be great if we could never have to put anything on them but we do know that people bring in stuff on their clothes. And that's the the most important thing that I, you know, people don't, that's common sense to me. And a lot of people do not pay attention to these common sense. So animals in your facilities, hand washing and the clothes you wear. If you have been romping and stomping over there in the chicken yard or in the fish house and you've got fish crap all over you, change your shirt, wash your hands, okay? Um, And pay attention to what you bring in. Your clothes are your vectors. Your shoes are the things that are bringing in stuff to your greenhouse. Don't think that, you know, oh, I got, no. Many times it's the human interaction that has done what we have is the major problem within the facility.
1: All is there, uh, uh, I guess on that note too, is there any beneficials that you've seen cause more problems than they solve? I can think of one, but I'm curious.
2: Yeah, I've, I've seen a variety of, uh, I mean, <laughs> I've seen parasitic wasps, I've seen all sorts of um, things. I have actually seen where, um, you know, workers have had some issues with uh, some of the things that have been brought in. Um, Yeah, I mean, Steve, you and I have talked about this, so you know, uh, we we can go back and forth. um, And I don't want to poo-poo anybody's, uh, you know, uh, uh, beneficials and predatory insect stuff, but there are. I'll just say it like this: they're not all created equal.
1: I, I was just gonna say that that ladybugs definitely don't do the pull the weight that they traditionally are have told to have pulled. Yeah. Um, ladybugs
2: are not your friends always. They don't, they don't really do anything to be honest with you. I mean, I, ladybugs are fun, friendly, and they, they're beautiful in your facility, but don't, don't use them. Get they're
1: one, I always tell people they're wonderful for childhood education and that's about it.
2: I agree with you. I think there are so many other, uh, opportunities to, um, uh, to do better. And the science has, a, has proven this. Um, just leave your ladybugs outside and leave them be. They, they, carry, they carry a lot in with them. And if you ever see how you're transported to you, I'll never forget, I, I had a million come to me one time in my uh, first facility and um, we were not using them for inside. We were using them for our outdoor crops because you know we, use, we do recirculating agriculture. So we not only do aquaponics, but we as well uh, use our aquaponics fluids on the soils, outsides in our orchards and such. And so we were utilizing them outside, and then all of a sudden, the we go to our greenhouse, and all around the greenhouse door were um, the ladybugs. I mean, literally, covered. The next week or two, we get a, a, a different um, pathogen than we had ever seen. And it was directly related to the, the ladybugs. Do, um, anybody do really
0: that remember? I've ever encountered using ladybugs, I've always suggested, like, hey, just... Whatever you're spending now on ladybug just spend it on lace wings and tell me that it doesn't make a difference and nobody has ever gone back to ever buy ladybugs again so feel free to take me up on my challenge
2: uh, I'm a lace wing queen I love I love me some lace wings
0: and oh, they're yeah. relatively the same price they're much more effective they can't fly away but they still cover lots of ground I mean there's uh, if you're spending money on ladybugs take that money spend it on lace wings for just one application and tell me that you don't see a difference because that's never, ever happened.
2: I, I'm with you, Marty. I, uh, I'm with you. I, I'm trying to do so many biosecurity controls that I don't have to use any of them, but I do use lace wings. Um, and like I said, Charlie McKenzie is, is one of my favorite guys on the be- beneficials. Um, I mean, his crop talk crop walk is always very interesting. I mean, if you've never heard, uh, Charlie talk about that.
1: Uh, there was a, uh, do you want to tell us a little bit more about um, your, your orchard growing? Yeah the, the, and using the, the fish waste for offline a little bit? Uh, that's one of yeah. the things that uh, we have a, a guy talking about extensively tomorrow, but uh, I, there's a lot of soil growers. I think a lot of people that are watching this right now aren't necessarily aquaponic growers, maybe they're soil growers or otherwise cannabis growers who are thinking about how can I incorporate this into my my larger permaculture design?
2: Yep. So, you know, we, pre- we prescribe to permaculture, we believe the eight layers is the way of the future and it's going to regenerate our soil for carbon sequestration. And so all of our facilities are built to, um, to uh, exceed, um, you know, we want to repair the earth. And so in that repair, so we are, you know, our statement is, is we build health and wealth in communities starting with the soil up. And so um, what we do is, is we have um, in our um, orchard area, we have piped. Um, a, two, a two inch pipe out of our greenhouses um, for our bottom solids. Whereas uh, it goes into our orchards um, to uh, fertigate um, out there for uh, the, to, you know, b- because our water has the microbes that is needed to feed the soil. And many times um, you'll find that you'll be able to make better soil with the aquaponic um, discharge or solution. Um, you know, and because we are a large grower operation, you know, we have, we're starting with 26,000 square feet soon and we will go into uh, almost uh, 80,000 square feet uh, within phase two. Um, we'll, we'll be actually, excuse me, yet around 80,000 square feet. Um, with, with that, uh, we have to manage for not only, uh, now we have impervious pavements, you know, we have to manage for where our water flows. So we have a one acre pond. And in that one acre pond, we have that's where our water goes from our greenhouses, the roofs. So we have zero runoff. I'm also on a watershed that is, in, is, in, is, in, is in injured. And so when we bought this facility, um, it allowed us to be able to rehab, not only do well within our community, but to do well for the earth. And so we took over the largest uh, meat fish operation in the Southeast uh, at Anguilla Farms. Um, and he was, uh, will produce around 24 tons of hybrid striped bass once we're up and operational in our first phase. In our second phase, we will have 48 uh, tons. And so a collective, you know, 24 and 48 tons. So we have a commercial operation of hybrid striped bass, decoupled system that's kind of um, proprietary to us. Um, And then part of that is, is that we have the outflow of the pond water plus um, is the normal way in which it's irrigated. And then our nutrient water, which is irrigated differently in a drip irrigation method. Now, let me talk to you real quick, um, most of you probably are recognized that you can actually get a USDA greenhouse uh, for $10,000 or less um, that you can do uh, orchard based um, growing. So if you are uh, interested in growing into the ground um, and using fish fertilizer for your uh, operation, you can actually get a USDA greenhouse if you have already your farm track number and your wetlands and all of that USDA uh, paperwork done. So I'm actually speaking at the aquaponics association about this sort of thing. So we, we actually do drip irrigation. Um, our greenhouse, um, the water is already out to our fields. We were doing flood drain furrow from there.
1: That's really awesome, yeah. And I think a lot of people don't really realize how much they can hybridize those wonderful aquatic microbes with their terrestrial growing. Remember, uh, and it was a NASA study, I believe, uh, um, that that was cited at one of the recent aquaponic uh, conferences, uh, association conferences. That seventy-eight percent of those microbes can live in a terrestrial and an aquatic environment. So, uh, you know, all those wonderful mineralizing microbes you're making in your aquatic system, you know, almost three quarters of them are gonna are uh, you know live in your your orchard. So. People, people don't realize that.
2: Well, the interesting thing is is that um, I have, and during my science, you know, we do all of our facilities. We have a, uh, our practice is that we have a re- R&D facility um, that we, we practice everything out of. And so what we found was that um, it was like, kind of like time release and it didn't burn the plants. And so we were able to grow peaches, uh, sugar cane, um, we utilize the soil was very compacted. So we did a turnip and radish, um, you know, field. And then uh, in our current facility, we've been breaking the ground with onions um, and then doing uh, soil uh, building by, um, we, we don't do till. So we're, uh, we we knock down and then plant on top. So we do uh, recirculating, we call it recirculating agriculture. So we utilize our, our uh, fish waste. And so you can actually go into the field and see the um, what we call the, the solid gold um, that's in the field and it just time releases and it doesn't, and if it flows, if, say if we had a flood situation, it won't hurt the river. That's the most important thing.
1: this is critically important because if if anyone's been following the uh, california's rules all cannabis involving a a, an aquatic nutrient solution has to be recirculating starting was it next year i forget what date next year but sometime next year so if you're if you're a producer in california switching to aquaponics if you're a hydroponic producer can can absolutely save you from some of the up and coming regulations and it's only a matter of time before those similar regulations spread to Europe and Canada and then other parts of the United States as well.
2: I actually um, work in Europe and in the Caribbean and um, what we're finding is, is that they're early adopters um, because they see the, the importance of it because of the, like for instance, the, some of the countries that were on communist rule and the manner in which the commun- uh, they, they cut their lands to feed everyone, um, it took the topsoil off. What we allow is 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 that if you put your uh, aquaponics solids or solutions onto the grounds, it actually allows you to build soil, and so all of that topsoil can actually be rejuvenated faster. Is, excuse me, is my belief, um, and so that is what we're finding is, as you know, because we our small spoke farms, um, which are the farming goes we call fooderies, um, actually are on brownfields and so we build those brown on the brownfields because no one knows what to do with them we don't use the dirt and what if any stuff when we're doing our outdoor permaculture stuff it actually helps the the ground rejuvenate
1: wonderful well it looks like uh, our time is just about up um, do you want to tell everybody how to find you uh, how to find out about your resources and and uh, everything else we have some links in the in the chat i'll make sure if we're missing any we'll, we'll get those in there
2: all right, so you can find us, our large farm operation is uh, MarinelandAquaponics.com. Um, um, uh, our smaller operation is The Foodery, is uh, fooderyfarms.com. You can find our consultant business at AquahortusFarms.farm. And um, you can always, you know, I left you in my PowerPoint. You can ring me up, call me up. Some of the folks that are, you know, I work with are some of your participants in the, in the conference here. Um, We've worked with some of the largest growers in the world. um, And, uh, you know, we're pleased to help any way we can. We have a nonprofit, the Center for Sustainable Agricultural Excellence and Conservation, which is for farmers by farmers. And it's for uh, nonprofit education to help uh, people become growers or to go from, um, you know, from the small to the large. Um, And we have some resources there at csaec.org. Um, We are grateful for the opportunity to share about why food safety matters. I wanna leave you with, if one of us fails, all of us fail. Let's stick together and do the next right thing.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. That was a a very informative talk and definitely learned quite a bit and touched on some topics that uh, uh, I definitely didn't think we'd touch on.
2: Steve, it's always amazing to work with you guys. I kind of miss the fact that you guys aren't smoking talking to me because the conversation just gets better and better oh yes you are Marty good job (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah
0: all Uh, right appreciate it I really appreciate all the information you put in here like I was saying earlier there's so much of the stuff that I feel like uh is really going to help people sidestep if they pay attention and take notes and listen obviously as you know as a consultant you can't always guarantee that aspect of it but um I think you did a great job highlighting a lot of, like I was saying, the challenges for even people that already know how to grow, just uh, kind of like what you were saying before about not, uh, you know, getting into the debate about what system is better or how to do it. Everybody needs to do these things regardless of what you decide to do, making your decisions, documenting them, seeing them through all, all things that may sound just like common sense, but are, are way more complicated if you've never actually tried to write it down on paper. So thank you for putting all that together and hopefully uh, everyone will will benefit from it.
2: Thanks guys. It's always a pleasure to talk with you and uh, we look forward to uh, doing this again.
1: Awesome. Well, uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you.
2: All right, have a great day. I'll, I'll see you on the line.
1: Great. Um, I'm working with Roger here. He's having a last-minute issue uh, connecting. Um, He'll be with us here any second. Uh, Do we have any other questions from chat? I wanted to uh, uh, thank everybody again for coming out to this wonderful conference. Uh, We have a, a ton of awesome speakers.